Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision and our new season, FinTech Fuse. This is Theo, your host for the episode, along with my brilliant, brilliant host, Barb McLean. Now, today, hey everyone. Hello. This is cool. Um, I can't wait. Barb, we need to like make this a habit. Um, maybe every show. I think we should. I I hope it becomes a habit for all the listeners too. Let's find out. Right? This is this is gonna be fun. I think so far so good. Everything I've heard has been nothing but positive. I think everyone got bored of listening to me too. So we need we need a different voice. And speaking of different voice, today Barb and I are very delighted to welcome Stessa to join us on the show. Stessa Cohen is a strategic advisor, consultant, evangelist, and above all someone that we have interacted with digitally and a wonderful person. Welcome to the show, Stessa. Oh, thanks. 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 It's great to, great to like be in real time dialogue and conversation because we've been having asynchronous conversations for a long time. Oh my goodness. Yes. Asynchronous conversation. There is something good about async though, so that we can actually chime in in our own time, but you're right. Sometimes our wires do get crossed. So I want to kick us off with, there's been something I wanted to ask you for a long time. For anyone who has been reading your newsletter, and they should, um, you write very extensively about the hidden tripe. Now, walk us through how you came up with that theme and what do financial institutions need to pay attention to when it comes to the hidden tripes? Well, I wish I could take credit for having come up with the term. Um but it literally came to me in a coffee shop one day when I was reading a book about U.S. politics in 2019. Um, I was waiting for my daughter to finish something at her school, and I'm reading this book, and I think I finished it. And I said to myself, this is the best book on digital banking that I've ever read. And it was about U.S. politics and the crux of one of the arguments that the author made is Rick Wilson. I mean, it doesn't really matter like where it came from, um, but he cited this organization that created this term around hidden tribes when they were looking at political beliefs. And that instead of just looking at people as part of party A and party B, you know, if you look for hidden connections between groups, you find new groups right, of interests. So instead of looking at Gen Z voting this way, well, there might be some things that go across Gen Z and Gen X and party X and Y that you would have no idea about. And so I started using his framework that he had proposed in this book for digitizing politics, right? It was actually about how to digitize the approach to politics. And I looked at this framework and I went, this, this works for banking. And Hidden Tribes encourages this concept, pushes banks to think differently about who their customers are, right? I mean, one of the reasons for this is that nobody likes to be slotted. Oh, you're a boomer. You don't know anything about digital. Or you're a Gen Z and you're totally savvy. And you know, so nobody likes to be slotted. And second, I think it really gives a false sense of security. Oh, we know our customers. And three, um, 
looking at hidden tribes helps you uncover actual real needs that are out there that you can't find in the traditional lens. I mean, there are still plenty of needs that are probably in the traditional lens that banks don't cook up, but how do we look at banking differently? How do we look at our customers differently? Well, if you stop thinking of them as households that make fifty to $75,000 a year and look at them as what do people who say are joining the military <laughs> have in common that other people who don't join the military might have in common? And yes, I'm referring to that new challenger bank, Roger. I mean, because that's like the newest and such a great example that all the characteristics that they honed in on were really specific to this group of people who could come from anywhere, right? And it's not cut by, oh, let's look at lower, low-income people coming into the army because that's not what it's about. And found some really amazing things about financial literacy. Um, so I, I think it's it's about how to look differently at customers and identify new products and needs that are out there. I joked on a podcast um, once with somebody, I think it was the CEO of this, uh, about starting a bank for people who own dogs, which is another, that's a hidden tribe because who owns dogs? It crosses all the traditional lines. And that's an interesting, an interesting topic. I think when banks approach things from a demographic like all women, you know, or all Gen Z, like it's too big, first of all. And so any product or service you come up with is going to be so big, it's going to be not differentiating. It's not going to really be disruptive, really. And it might just end up being okay. We'll let them pick the color of their debit card kind of fix, right? Because it's too big. I love uh, that learning from another industry, you know, picking up, um, reading about U.S. politics and being able to translate it back to financial services. Now, I know the three of us <laughs> have been studying other jurisdictions for a long time, partially because at least some of us, you know, have come from uh, away as well. And, you know, something that's been happening in a lot of other places in the world has been moving money faster and faster payments. And I think one of the topics du jour then in the United States has been the launch of FedNow. So wondering if you can share some of your thoughts about um, what is actually happening on the topic of open banking and faster payments in the US? Well, I wasn't aware that it was still around, the initiatives. Worst kept secret, best kept secret? <laughs> well, you know, when I was doing, when I was covering check payments more, I, I was on the Federal Reserve websites more often. And so I would see it, right? So that kept them more top of mind. And I was like, oh, Fed now. Oh, Fed now? Um, awesome. So we're going to get to where European banks were 20 years ago. Um, Stessa, we won't because we're still writing checks. But that's a whole different topic. And I have two checks to write this afternoon. You know, um, I literally remember 20 years ago, a friend of mine who was in a European country said, oh, 
can I move some money to your bank account so you can pay this credit card bill for me because he was in another country, right? And then he said, here's my bank account number. I'll figure out how to do this. And he, he, I could just hear his head on the table 20 years ago, like the, the hoops that we had to jump through. So I think this is a great movement towards things. Um, nobody doesn't work inside banking, understands how payments work. And using my N of one, like my 22-year-old son, his birthday is today, um, will say, how come, you know, this payment hit my account before this payment? And then you have to go into this long, well, I think the word he would use lecture about the difference between ACH payment and a credit card payment. And, you know, it's already asleep. But why should anybody care? You know, and why can't we just have fast payments? And why can't we just, here's an account number and, and movies and access payments how, on customer basis versus the bank's basis. So it's like the example I used to give of a credit union I belonged to once where they had a sign inside the branch that said platform and an arrow. Who knew what platform meant? The people that work for the credit union, but they meant the tellers. That was the bank's term for a platform. So, you know, I think, you know, more and more you see more payments, open payments. Visa's acquisition of Pismo is really huge because it's a huge payments platform slash also could be core, also can push payments out to customers platform with Visa and Visa's network. And it becomes what you can imagine what you want to do as opposed to ACH, which is pushed way beyond its original duties. Um, yay, but maybe time to use something else. And, you know, Fed now is like, yay, but, you know, can the Federal Reserve keep up? It's hard. I think they, you know, they know what's going on, but it's hard for big organizations to keep up. Are they going to open up their protocols so that fintechs can use them and banks can use them to move money even faster? So, yay. Because it's going to come, whether it comes through the Federal Reserve or not. I can oh, sense the excitement. Well, I was just, when the news came, I was like, I seriously, I was fed now. And now, because, you know, some of these programs, they die, right? And it's not like the Federal Reserve is going to announce that it died. I was like, whoa, that really happened. I say, good. It's good that they actually finished a project. Um, listen, the 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 project in India for you know banking anywhere and payments that took a long, long time, and it happened. Um, and that's an even larger country, even more logistical problems in terms of pushing out to people. But it did happen, so I think this is coming. Um, are banks prepared for this? 
I don't know, um, a survey that I did through um, Third Eye Advisory, which I'm affiliated with, around uh, upgrading legacy payment systems as banks that we surveyed, which was around the world, we're just now getting ready to see payment systems. So, you know, that's just starting to happen last year and this year. So that's just looking at it, saying maybe we need to do something with that. And it's not just one, right? There's usually a large retail bank is going to have several. You know, to get to a hidden tribe, you need to be able to pull data from all of these systems that says, okay, how are my customers spending money for them individually or to identify a need, right? Yeah, I, I can't agree more. That's one of the feelings I often have. I mean, I've lived in this country for more than 30 years, but still nothing that I have here meets the needs that I have with, you know, friends and family all over the place. And uh, I'll give you a very simple example, which I've used quite often when I have to move money from my small business account to my personal account or vice versa. I have to write myself a check, do a photo, right, and deposit. But here's the kicker. When I signed up for Apple Savings, I'm like, you know what? Let me just try it to see if it worked. And I was able to move money from my business account to my Apple Savings account in seconds, just like that. And so I am missing something here. Why is it that I have to drum, jump through hoops just to move money from account A to B under the same bank even compared to the other experience? There's no the reason. Only- the only experience that I know that is made simpler that way is that when my son went off to college, I linked his account to mine because he was under 21. And moving money from my account is too, way too easy. Right? But why shouldn't it be that easy for everything? Because I have the same problem. I have the same and many more problems. And it, again, it's the bank focus on oh, people live this way, and instead of anticipating that people could live anyway, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So if you live anyway, and it could change, you could go to Hong Kong for the summer, right? Which I did. And it was painful trying to get anything done over there when I need to move money here. Um, And and the kicker, my my, uh, ATM card expired while I was in Hong Kong. And guess what? You know what happens, right? Your your credit card, your, your ATM card expired. I went to the bank. I'm like, I need to withdraw money. Sorry, ma'am, your card expired. Okay, but but you're at the same bank. Oh no, no, we're different because you're in a different jurisdiction. I'm like, wait, but but yes. no, we can't do anything. Like, yes, I can't pay my bills. I cannot get money. I was like, okay, this is not cool. And they don't have any way of communicating with that other entity. They don't. They said we're all separate. But they, you know, it's an any-to-any world. And payment systems are not set up for that. So I think for FedNow, it's going to hit that, whatever that, that wall is with whatever, you know, because they designed it when. And it took so long. I mean, it's not a knock on them, but it's just the length of time 
to develop, the things have changed. The ball has changed. What surprised you the most looking back at, you know, other than the, 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 the slow pace that we're all experiencing? Well, I think the um, endurance of some legacy core systems. Mic drop moment. <laughs> yeah, because you can do so much on the, I hate to say front end because I don't think there's a front end anymore, but there's only so much you can do in how you push out things to people and bots or whatever. And then you have to hit this core system. You want to do something new, right? And you hit a, a wall. And I think we're hitting that moment. You're starting to see new players. Again, Pismo is one. I, I'm not a shill for them, but they just, there's, there's several that do some of this core stuff differently than traditional core vendors. And one of the things that's going to drive it is non-banks, non-financial institutions wanting that core capability. But when they talk to a legacy core vendor, they're going to go, what? <laughs> no, no, no. We need something modern. <laughs> that Because we have a more up-to-date infrastructure. And the FinServe vendors have been really lucky that the banks are kind of still in their, mostly in their bank bubble. Now, there's lots of outliers, but I think that's, that's one of the surprises, the endurance of, of the core systems. Some wonderful former colleagues at Gartner who cover all that in detail. But now you just, you just see that and I'm going, whoa, you know, and some of the survey data that I've gotten back last year is like, you know, we're still upgrading and evaluating. I think this also drives having to reevaluate the digital banking platforms. Between that, how can how can we pull more core capabilities into that platform because we can't do them in our core? You see, uh, you know, SoFi's Technosis, I guess now it's called Galileo. That's what that does. And again, others that, that, you know, on the plus side, you're going to see more of the blurring. So the core vendors and even the digital banking vendors that can't blur stuff together and help get rid of those boundaries between front and back, they're going to be, I think they're going to be challenged. Um, so I kind of caught lost lost track of what the question was, what surprises me. So that's that's one of the things. Um, I guess the other thing that surprises me is I thought I would, we would see more real innovation with challenger banks, you know, at first. Um, so I was really hopeful and excited about that. But it, you know, it didn't, you know, some of them were just, content to do same same old thing but faster which i guess moved the needle for a lot of legacy banks more traditional banks um uh, the other disappointing thing is things that get funded fintechs that get funded 
there's so much of the me too. Oh, you're doing that. I'll do that too. As opposed to looking for the really transformative capabilities and also things like uh, funding startups headed by women. That seems to be an ongoing topic. I'm, I have a feeling is it won't change. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's more awareness, yeah. but I don't, I haven't seen real dollars. Who's aware? Okay. But who is aware? Who is aware? I know who's aware. The people that are suing the fearless fund, they're aware. Right. And, 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 and I have so many adjectives I can use to describe that and none of them say for work, but it, it, it's to the point where this is absurd. You are suing people because they get breadcrumbs of the pie. Really? Like the, this is the world that we're in right now. So um, let's talk about something else. I, I would add one <laughs> of the things that, yeah, otherwise so we would never end this, but one of the things I, I do think if you ask me personally, I, I absolutely resonate with your point about, I had wished that we would see more real innovation. I think that's something that, you know, quite often we talk about, we could have done this, but we hadn't seen it. There is this need, but we still have not seen it. And one of those is branches. A lot of people have been talking for a long time. Future is branchless. There would not be branches. Branches don't do anything. Paper money is bad. All of these yada, yada. Completely ignoring the fact that there are actually a lot of people who do not have access to anything but a physical branch, let alone that there is a real need that sometimes people do want to use a branch. That aside, I do have a question and I want to ask you, what do you think is the future of bank branches? Because I know you wrote about this. Are there <laughs> going to be branches in the future? I hope there will be less perhaps, but you know, I think there are still some demographics that need a branch. Well, I wrote, a, I've written a lot about this recently because uh, there's this, in the US at least, there's this always, every so often there's a movement to put um, branches and post offices. And this irks me a lot. And it's usually not a suggestion from bankers. It's a suggestion from somebody with no skin in the game or should know better, like the politician. Like, it sounds like really good when they say it. But one of the most shocking pieces of data that I came across, and this is data, like, from you know, organizations that study this is that when you, uh, the loss of a branch, whether it's an urban area or a rural area, kicks off a process of, of economic problems. So it's not just do people need it to bang. It's then in triggers lack of confidence economically in a certain neighborhood. And then land and housing prices go down. You start to see more um, neglected areas or even, you know, just services decline. And this could be urban, rural, or, or suburban. It doesn't, I don't think it matters. And it just triggers a lot of things that 
banks, when they're making a decision to close a branch, don't think about because they're calculating how many people come in per day, what's the cost of the building, et cetera, et cetera. There's a branch two blocks from my house that's been empty for a couple of years now because I, I don't know. And there's weeds growing up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's starting to be an eyesore. And in the neighborhood post-COVID, there are a lot of empty storefronts around it. So I see it in this environment, in my own neighborhood. But this is, it triggers a lot of things around the economic growth of an area. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, I think, I just read an article about how retailers screwed up with the whole physical store thing because they didn't anticipate that after COVID, people would want to go back to stores. <laughs> and I wrote about this before the COVID was over, over uh, that people would want to go back to stores because it's interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. And it's nice. And I think people want interaction. And you may not go to the branch to do a transaction, but if you have a dispute, wouldn't it be faster to go to a branch and get it resolved in one go? Rather than, again, my N equals one, my own personal experience of trying to resolve a fraud alert with one of the banks I use that took like, like four phone calls. Four. And it was like very Kafkaesque, you know, like, oh, you know. There was some internal reason why it went to fraud that nobody can probably understand. And it was just bizarre. But if I could have gone in somewhere and taken time out of my day and gotten it fixed in one go, that's a lot easier, even if I could do it in the car waiting for my daughter to come out of her gymnastics. Because the computer I made me do it is one of my most hated phrases to hear. I'm sure. Same for anyone yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. on the receiving end of that. I mean, but... You know, it's like, you know, but if you're going to sit in front of someone, they could solve the problem. Um, and I think also the engagement that's necessary for lending. And this is one of the reasons why the economics of a branch influences a neighborhood is small business lending suffers because you get put into an algorithm and it comes out, oh, you're a small business and you don't qualify, blah, blah cancel. Um, somebody who's a branch manager at a branch, they know the people in their neighborhood. And they know the businesses, they know the people, oh, you're Sally, you started this catering business out of your house, and now you've got a storefront or a truck. You know, they, they understand the evolution, and there's more trust built and relationship built that you can actually fund something. So I see it as actually, you know, if the large banks don't want to be there, I think it's a huge opportunity for credit unions and community banks to say, you know, this is our bailiwick, you know. Um, if I'm a credit union servicing police officers and firefighters, where do they live? Well, actually next door to me, so. <laughs> but, you know. You know, where do they live? Where do they shop? I want to put a branch there, right? Because I want their whole family to come in and, you know, 
do business with them. You were mentioning earlier the specific language of banking that seemingly only bankers know. Um, and was wondering maybe if you can uh, think about what you've seen and heard over the number of years you've been working in this industry. And if you had to choose one, is there a specific industry buzzword that you could kill off if you could? This is such a hard choice. Um. You know, it's been very interesting over the last number of months um, working for an American institution directly for the first <laughs> time in my career. I thought I knew all the acronyms. I've been doing this a long time. And man, do we love an acronym in fintech. But it was really educational to have to relearn a bunch of new ones simply because I'm now working in, in a new jurisdiction. So I'm just going to lump all of the American uh, regulatory acronyms into one pot because that's been educational for me. Well, I think anytime a banker says to a customer words like wire transfer, ACH. What, what's a cashier's check versus a regular check? Can anyone explain that one? Yeah, even I get confused about that because there's like two, you can get a certified check or a cashier's check and they're really actually the same thing. And I went and had to ask for one and the teller was like, oh, they're cashier's checks. And so confused. I don't, I want a check that means that the money is already there and you don't have to wait for it to go around, you know, the Federal Reserve System. That's terrible. Or, or you just right. want to move money from A to B. You want to get something done. Yeah. That X, that's all I, I care about. Yeah, I think PFM has really run its course. Um, you know, as somebody who's covered it and looked at it from time immemorial, I think it's a lot of different things now. And so it's one of those words that means everything and nothing. Um, because if you say that to somebody, you know, they, they look at you, a normal person, they look at you. And then it's not even there. Like, my son has been using a credit card to manage his finances. And I said, well, can you like categorize your expenses and looks at me. And I was just like 2023 and this is where we are. I use an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> no, my son's not gonna do that. I, I had he's to for gonna, my account. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. he's not gonna do that. So so here's an opportunity. Nobody I'm sure in the bank thought of a kid using their credit card to monitor their expenses. But he's doing that in a very specific and mindful way, right? So that he can also make one payment, which actually a lot of people do. Um, and there's no ways for him to actually manage. So PFM kind of like doesn't mean anything. It's, it, if it's there, we haven't been able to find it. <laughs> so that would also be really bad, right? I think digital is is running its course and digital transformation. I myself am tired of writing that phrase, digital banking. What does that mean anymore? I think I'll vote for fintech because what does that mean, right? Uh, it it it's like. Is PayPal fintech? 
is Chime a fintech? Like what what is a fintech? I, I think as an industry, we seem to be having a little bit of a identity crisis because at the end of the day, I mean, all of them use tech. So is that a size difference? Where's the cutoff? Or is it like an age difference? What is the cutoff? I don't know. Uh, you know, we had these discussions when I was at Gartner, like seriously, what is a fintech? And I was really strict in my definition because I was like, well, you got to know what you're talking about. You got to box it in because otherwise it means everything and then it's nothing. So I've become less dogmatic about it, but I don't think it means anything. It still kind of means a startup to me. But is PayPal a startup? It was once. Not anymore. They're huge, right? So, and and that was that was I remember the first time I talked to Stephanie, who can't be here with us, but that was one of the first things that we talked about is how does she define a fintech, and she's very strict about it too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pfizer was calling itself a fintech, and are they a fintech? Well, you've been watching the industry for um, a number of years now, so it's it's not the end of the year yet, but we're going to ask for one of these early. Can you give us some predictions for the next 12 to 18 months? What do you think is going to be the next thing that's happening? I think you're going to start to see more acquisitions that are like the SoFi Galileo Technicist thing. And the Visa Pismo thing, God, they should be paying the number of times I met <laughs> But what's really interesting is they came out of Brazil and were starting to ramp up in Europe and Asia and just now moving into the States. But now Visa has them. It's not an obvious fit, but strategically makes a fit. And this... And it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of, is it a fintech or a bank? Um, So SoFi started off doing lending. And I think it has a bank license now or is looking for a bank license. And they've acquired these two fintech slash vendors. So these companies sell to their competitors. And I say that with a question mark because, yeah, that makes sense. Now, having multiple ways to generate revenue. So I think you're going to see more of that. And it's not the traditional acquisition of a fintech or a vendor for a bank and then sucking it in the guts into the bank and then you never see it again, which is a traditional mode. Um, but it's creating something new. Um, so I think that you're going to see more of that. Um, I think we're going to continue to see blurred lines between what is traditionally known as delivery and traditionally known as core in some kind of platform way that allows financial institutions and non-financial institutions to pull in these capabilities that they need. Um, So if it's, if, they're doing it through a bank or not. You see all kinds of things happening. Um, 
around the world, for example, um, telcos and are getting now the ability to, or banks are getting the ability to buy into existing banks in Ethiopia where the market was very closed and now it's opening up. And we're talking about banks with tens of millions, huge banks, tens of millions of customers. And so banks on the outside can buy a share of a bank and bring swiftly change the whole nature of banking in a country much more quickly than before. Why? Because you can bring in these technologies that are new and place have, and you can do it in the cloud, right? So you don't need to have people on the ground necessarily right away. You can bring them in, but you can do it in the cloud. So I think you're going to see more of that. From the bank side, I think you're going to see more banks move into the platform or whatever the next stage of digital banking platforms are, using that old terminology. Um, what's going to differentiate them is the ones that can actually bring together those ecosystems and really expose them with what they're doing around, hopefully around hidden tribes and new ways of looking at their customers to push out the functionality they need, not looking for the, the killer app. But, you know, so I think there's going to be another round of these replacements ongoing to get what they need. That's, that's based on the data that I've seen that we've, that we've collected at Third Eye uh, around this. You know, we're going to start to see payments transform. And it's going to be that same way. It's not going to be siloed. I think the banks that are smartest are going to look at this all together. Uh, we have to replace core. We have to do something about the legacy to do what we want to do for customers. How, you know, if they're not looking at it strategically like that, before they go off and do their separate things, I think, you know, that again will be another differentiator with banks. So. Stessa, you went through the entire half hour without talking about Apple. <laughs> Barbara, well, what do you think? Because we all Mac fans. Um, to an extent. There's there's a high likelihood I'm finding my way to an Apple store next week. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I will tell you, I used to be a big PC laptop fan. And my last laptop died on like its two-year anniversary. So I just went to a Mac. I'm still resisting moving off of my Android I think, you know, it could be the similar the similar things that you see happening. Well, personally, back up. I feel like I'm old enough to remember when Microsoft was going to become a bank. And that never happened. Right? And so you're going to see a lot of things that they want to do. But does Apple or Amazon actually have to become a bank to do what they're doing? No. And why would they? just brings more scrutiny into them. And it makes them make one choice. Do they really care which bank they use to process stuff? Isn't that really what open banking would be about? I, I, I agree. Like if, 
if as consumers, right, putting on the consumer lens, looking at what they've been able to do without becoming an actual bank, your question is completely valid, right? They don't need all of that hoopla and going through the regulations to, to do what they need to do. What's been fascinating is the very pragmatic approach step by step. They aren't always the first to the market, right? They didn't need to be. But when they do come to market is this experience is kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, look at, um, you know, the whole concept of set it aside and forget about it and have things just work in the background. Acorns, right? I loved acorns. And I love how it was able to just do with a little thing in the background. And I've been able to do the same thing with my Apple savings. Like the other day I looked at the statement. I'm like, wow, okay, this is, this is cool. This is nice. Bert, this is where we're going to go dinner next, next time. It, it's, it's fascinating to see like little things and, and I would love to see them use their understanding of consumer behavior to help us do even more. Cause gosh, we need help. Yeah, and and that's the thing that fascinates me with with banks that they could fix some simple things and make such a huge impression. You know, those things that you're talking about are not huge, but they're important to you. Like not on a daily basis, but when you go and look at your statement, and you go, "Oh my goodness, I've saved X amount of dollars," and I really wasn't thinking about it. Exactly. You know? I mean, Smarty Pig was like that for me when they came up and I set up all these different accounts and I was able to save for stuff. Like sometimes it was just like $20 at a time, you know, it was like, well, I was really financially stressed when I was getting a divorce then. And so like every dollar mattered, but I was able to set aside like $25 for this, $25 for this and $25 for this. And then, you know, I didn't have to think about it. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, whoa. That's awesome. I can do X now. Like literally get something in my house fixed. Absolutely. But right. little and things that matter. made a huge, it, it made a mm-hmm. huge difference. And this is why I I'm, I harp on this all the time in my newsletter around small wins have these big, you know, big results. Because it's not like banks never tried to do big things before. But transformation is, first of all, an ongoing thing. And second of all, the worst thing, the worst project anybody wants to be on in a bank is the one that never ends or never gets approval or, you know, it just takes so long. That was my biggest fear was being on projects that, you know, you would be in your next job interview and they would say, like, how did that turn out? And you're like, I've done some of this. <laughs> but but everybody wants to see tangible results. It's a human thing. You know? Whether it's the person who's we're using the app or it's the engineer who's designing it, you know. The customer experience people, they want to see a result and get stuff done. But I, I think it's those little wins that stack up. And so Apple is really smart in that way of doing these little things and little things. And hopefully in the back, someone's thinking, where do we go with this? How many, and especially how many different directions can we go with this? Like when they do a new credit card, I'm like, okay, I'm bored. Because to me, that's that's not going to tempt me. That just doesn't tempt me. But 
things that work in the background, things that use AI in smart ways. I did a I did a bunch of research years ago about, you know, and this gets even more so with the climate change we're experiencing worldwide. Like if the heat goes up so much and I'm gonna use X amount more electricity and my costs are gonna go to here, am I gonna be able to pay for the same electricity next summer? And the tools that the bank needs to do that to then prepare me because I don't wanna wait until next July. But if the bank could pull in data around, you know, for weather forecasting for Philadelphia and electric bills, electric data, which they can get or could get and analyze that with what customers paid or couldn't pay. I just, you know, I used to call it empathic banking and now I mean, it's just smart. It's smart you know, banking and invisible, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to know? And, you know, the same goes with the flip side in cold weather. You know, if things are going to be less cold or like we've had less snow and less cold, you know, what does that mean for me financially? Well, it could mean a lot. It could mean hundreds of dollars a month, actually, if it's warmer. On the other hand, if we have more tornadoes here, <laughs> that line is definitely moving east a little bit and I'm watching it very cautiously um but this has been amazing you're giving us a lot of food for thought I've been screaming notes uh, <laughs> it's it's uh I don't know what to say but this is this is this is really good and please do keep writing um if our <laughs> listeners want to reach out to you and look for your uh substack Newsletter, where did they find it, Stessa? Pivotassets.substack.com. Um, LinkedIn, Stessa Cohen, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, those would be the two places. Used to be on Twitter. Somewhere. We don't talk about the bird app much anymore. But yeah. I see you lurking on Mastodon <laughs> occasionally. So Yeah, I like that. I wish that it was more popular. Maybe next time we talk, it'll be different. You know, I don't want to use my Instagram to get onto threads because my Instagram is just for looking at sheep (laughs) and cat videos. Mine was all bunnies and alcohol. So, Uh, (laughs) exactly. I don't post, I just want to see pictures of sheep and barns and big fields. We did say bring yourself to work, right? Bring your authenticity. So this is part of it. This is the human side of us. Um, that voila. But thank you so much, Stessa, for joining Barb and myself today. It's been a real pleasure. Pivotatsats.substack.com. Please do find Stessa there or on LinkedIn. And for the for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Fintech Fuse. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.